welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. We're in a series, as you can see up there on the, on the screen, it's called Think, Speak, Act. And today I want to speak into that series and particularly looking at some of the... Uh, particularly looking at the power of our words, the speak element, the power of what we say. I've got a little girl. She's now nearly seven. And uh, we had this experience with her where she was about, I can't remember, she was about four years old maybe. She She is like the sweetest little innocent, you know, looks beautiful. You talk to her, she's just gentle, most of the time, she has her moments, but uh, she, she's like this cute, innocent kid. And one day we're driving in the car, and she's telling stories as she likes to do. She likes to talk, and you know I like to listen to her. Uh, and as, I, as, as I'm listening to her, she's telling me these stories, and she's, she's talking, and she's talking. And you know I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll listen to parts of what she says, and the other parts I just kind of say, yeah, yeah, that's great, babe. Awesome, great to hear that, that's awesome. But this one day in particular, she's, she, we're driving, and now please just ask, I put my heart out there today, so please don't judge me for this. This is no condemnation, yeah, we're all family. Uh, and as she's speaking, she's just telling this story, and it, without even thinking about it, she drops the F-bomb. She swears. While she's telling me this story, she says this word, and I'm like, listening. I don't know what else I heard in that conversation, but I heard that word. As soon as that came out of her mouth, I was like, what just happened? Did I? Surely she did not say that. Surely I just imagined that. I misheard that. That could not have come from her mouth. And so I asked her, I stopped her and said, babe, what were you just talking about? And she repeated the sentence with the same word in there as if it meant to be in there now it didn't make any sense the way that she had said it but she said it and I'm like what is happening I'm a pastor and she's just dropping f-bombs in conversation and then I'm like what and so I you know I go into dad mode and I think I gotta investigate where this has come from where she, she's obviously heard this word. She's, she's using it in some weird way. And so I'm like, where's she heard that? Where's she been? She's been at kindy. I'm like, we all start talking to her. And I'm like, babe, where did you hear that word? Did, you, did, did someone say that at kindy? And she's like, no. I'm like, phew. And then I'm like, where else has she been? Kids church. And I was 98% sure she didn't hear that in kids' church, but I had to check anyway. Babe, did someone in kids' church say that? No. Phew. (laughs) Tyler's like, phew. (laughs) So we're trying to work out where she said that. And I'm like, did mum say that? Was that something you heard mum say? No. Phew. (laughs) <laughs> but we get to the bottom of it, and it was, my, uh, it was my sister, actually, that she heard. And she just heard this word, and she took this word, and she thought that this word meant something different. 
to what it actually meant. And so we talked to her about probably not using that word, especially in kids' church or at school or in any type of conversation. But she just didn't understand what she was saying. And she just used this word, not realizing what it meant and the context of where it should have been not used. (laughs) But she just used it because she said it. And I, I think about some of the things that possibly we say where we, we just don't realize the power that is in the words that we speak. And so we either say things or we don't say things, not realizing the incredible power that is in the words we speak. Can we please put that proverb uh, up, Lockie? You're probably familiar with this proverb. It's uh, Proverbs 18.21, and it says, Words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. And in the other translation, if you would, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Okay, we say, yep, all right, I've heard that before. I know that there is power in what I speak. But how many of us understand that you can know something? You can even know it really well. You could have memorized it, and still it hasn't changed or affected the way that you live. It's not just enough to know that you know that that's how things work. It's about letting the Holy Spirit bring that to your heart and making that part of your life. Letting that word actually go deep to realize that there is power in our words. There is power in what we speak. Our words can either produce death or life. And so we need to choose wisely how we speak. I uh, recently got a new car and I want to show you a picture of my old car. Now, don't be fooled by the rims, but that wasn't the most powerful car that you could ever drive. It would luckily, I'd be lucky if I could get into fourth gear in that car. It, would, uh, it looks incredible, I understand that, and uh, the rims make it look really good. It's called a Daihatsu Paisar, and I used to get teased, you know, and words hurt. People used to, people used to speak to me about my car, about my Paisar. They used to call me Paisar, Mr. Paisar because I drove this green box on rims. And uh, that was my old car. This is my new car. This is outside today. This is a WRX. And I can tell you something about this car, whilst the rims may look the same as the other, there is quite a bit more power in this car. I don't even need fourth gear in this car. I can do all my driving in three gears. But here's what happens. I have to adapt my driving to this car because of the power that it has. I can't drive the same way I used to drive my little Paisar, the way that I drive this car. Why is that? Because I understand the power that is in it. If we don't understand the power that is in our words, then we won't adapt and adjust and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in us, to to realize, hang on a second, what I'm saying actually could bring death here. It could produce something that is not healthy here. My words could actually harm or hurt someone here. And if we don't understand the power of that, then we'll just drive it like the old car. We just drive it like the old car and we just do whatever with it. Yeah, as I said, it's one thing for us to understand this, to to know this, but it's another for us to to allow it to shape our lives. And regardless of whether you believe it or not, 
regardless of whether you, you think, okay, all of my words have power or not, uh, they actually do. And I think about this with, with, with some principles that God has put in place in, in life in general. There are things that God has ordained. There are things that, that God has set in motion. Principles that govern our, our universe, govern our lives. And they are in place whether we partner with them or not. We see the outworking of them. Let me give you a principle. Uh, the principle of gravity. Society was built upon, uh, around the idea and the understanding of gravity before they understood gravity. Why is that? Because they were subject to it, whether they ad adhered to it, whether they believed in it, or whether they understood it, it was still in place. That is why your house is not built in the sky. Because we've had to build our lives around what is in place. Now, I could stand here and say, you know what? I'm just not a gravity person. I'm just not down with gravity. I reckon it's all scientific nonsense. Uh, uh, sh give me some proof. Like uh, it, Gravity could be for you, but it's not for me. And just don't put your gravity beliefs on me, please. Now, now because I say that doesn't actually mean that I'm not subject to gravity. And because I, I say, look, I don't believe in gravity, doesn't mean that if I try and step off of this stage... I'm not going to fall. But we can do that with different things that God has set in place. We say, you know what, I just don't choose to, yeah, I'm not really sure about that one. It's still true. Truth is absolute. There are absolutes in this, in this world. There are absolutes in this life. Whether I say, you know, I'm going to shape my life around that or not, it's true. And this is one of those truths, that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And so I think wisdom would lead us to a place where we uh, center our lives around that truth and we allow that truth to change who we are and for that to come out. I want to read from a scripture in uh, Ephesians, which you again may be familiar with. It's actually the first scripture that I ever memorized. It's Ephesians 4, 29. Ephesians 4.29. Give me a nod if you're there. Some of you aren't even there and you're like nodding. You don't even have a Bible. This is on the screens? Okay, you're there. We're all there then, aren't we? Got me. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I want to read through this and break this down a little bit and uh, kind of draw some stuff out about the power of our words and how we have been instructed and uh, led to live when it comes to so when it comes to our, our, our speech. Verse 29 there says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, in order to, to come into this passage 
properly, I think it's, it's important to get a, uh, a bit of a glimpse or a bit of context on what Paul is writing here. So Ephesians was a letter that was given to a church. And a big part of what Paul is trying to do in this letter to this church in Ephesus is to give them the understanding and help them to see what the new life in Christ looks like. There's a lot of times when he, he makes parallels or he makes comparisons between what life used to look like before you came to Christ. You were dead in your, in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins. And now you have been made alive in Christ. A lot of this letter is, is, is like a picture showing us what life used to be like before you came to Jesus. And now what life is like as a result of you encountering Jesus. And so he sets up these, these, these comparisons, these uh, things that it used to look like this. You used to speak like this. You used to live like this. This used to be the nature that you lived by. And now that you've come to Jesus, things are different. And he keeps reminding the church, it's different now. You're a new creation. You, you are alive to Christ. And it's one of those, those letters that I love to read because it reminds me that uh, Christianity is not just about behavior modification. It's not just about a whole set of, of checklists that I, che I tick off the right things that I'm doing right and I tick off those things that, that I shouldn't be doing. It shows us that, that becoming a Christian is moving from darkness into light. The comparison is death and life. It is not that you have just got this Christian sticker on you now. It's not that you've just been told you need to behave a certain way now. There are very good people in the world who behave very well, but they're not Christians. The difference is you have been made alive to Christ, and you have been made alive in Christ. And Paul writes this to remember, you used to live like this, but that's not you anymore. You're a new creation in him. He's not telling them a whole set of lists and regulations that they have to live up to. He's reminding them of who they are in Jesus and what Jesus has done, to them, done for them. And so we read with that understanding, with that lens, we come to this. So when he says, do not let any corrupting talk come from your mouths, it's not a matter of him just saying, this is not, the, this is not what you should do and this is what you should do. There's a difference. He's saying that's what you used to do. That's what life was like before Jesus, but you're different now. Now, every one of us would have a photo somewhere in your collection, unless you burnt it, where you would look back and, and, and you would look at the outfit that you were wearing at some point in life, the hairstyle you had at some point in life, and you would think, what was I thinking? Oh, my Lord. How did I ever go out of the house wearing that? How did I ever allow myself? How did my family allow me to have hair like that? I think about that when I was a little kid. Like, my parents, seriously, how did you let that happen? What was going on there? But we've probably all got these pictures of, in life where we look back and we think, wow, I'm so glad that's not what I look like anymore. I'm so glad that's not what I dress like anymore. I'm so glad that's not what my hair looks like anymore. Ephesians is one of those pictures for us that says you are not that person anymore. You do not look like that anymore. That is not who you are anymore. You are a new creation in Jesus. You have come to him and now you are a new creation. So with that in mind, he says then, let no corrupting talk come from your mouths. 
And here's another thing that, that perhaps we take this to be. Simplistically, I've heard it spoken before. That just means don't swear. That just means stop cursing, stop cussing, stop swearing. That's not what it means. There's a much deeper understanding to it. It includes that, but it's not contained to that. It's not limited to that. The word rotting, the word corrupting, is the word sapras in the, in the, in the Greek, which actually means rotting. Anything that is rotten or corrupting or, or, or decaying, do not let that come from your mouth. Words that will bring death, words that will bring rottenness, words that will bring decay. And I think of this, I was just, you know, this, just this morning even, thinking that those words are, are, are the, the extension of the rotten nature. That rotten words will come from a rotten nature. And he's saying, that's not who you are anymore. Don't let those words come out of that anymore. Uh, it, it goes beyond just saying, just stop swearing. And I thought, I thought I had that when I memorized this passage and I stopped swearing. I was like, yeah, nailed it. Ephesians 4, 29, done. Let's move on. Done it. And then I read into that and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is much, much broader than I first thought. This is any word that is perverted. This is any word that, that is tearing someone else down. This is any word that is speaking ill of someone else. This is any word that has death in it. This is any word that could be, could be seen as rotten towards someone's life. He says, don't let those things come out of your mouth. Let none, none of them. Let no corrupting word. There's no asterisk there either. No stipulation that says, uh, unless you really, really are angry. Unless that person has really, really done wrong by you, let no corrupting words come from your mouth unless they cut you off in traffic. Then you can cut them down with your words. There's no asterisk there that would say uh, there, there is a certain situation when it is okay to let this come out. It says just don't let those words come out. But then we read on and we see that, that he, it doesn't just stop there. And I, I think we can stop there. We think it's about abstinence from uh, rotten things coming out of our mouths. But he redirects. It's, it's less about abstaining from speaking rotten words. And it's more about the redemptive nature of our language. About God redeeming our words. Redeeming our language. Because he says, don't let them come out. But only that which is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So it's not just about not saying something, it's actually about redeeming our words, about God, letting God use our words to, to do some stuff. Now I want to bring just quick, quickly three points from this, three things that we see that, that we are called to speak in this passage. The first one there being build. Our words are there to build others. Let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only that which is good to build up others, to edify others, to help others. You know, your words are one of the most powerful tools that you have. And, and you may sit there and think, I don't have much of a ministry. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't get the microphone. You know, ministry is not limited to a microphone. Very, very little of actual ministry takes place with the microphone. I was saying that to someone yesterday who was running our men's event, and he was, 
washing the dishes after, and he, he, he headed up the whole thing. And I was like, oh, is this part of ministry, is it? Just having a dig at him, like having a joke with him. That is the majority of it. But if you have a voice, if you have words, then you have a ministry. And Paul says that your words can be used to build up others, to build people up. How often do we think that what I say has the potential and the ability to to edify someone, to build someone up? Even just having that mindset might change some of our conversations. Even just coming to a conversation when I meet with someone, when I'm speaking with someone, and thinking, in this moment, I have the opportunity to build something into this person. I have the opportunity to build this person up, to encourage them, to help them to see who they are in Christ, to help them to see what God says about them, thinks about them. I have the opportunity in this conversation to construct something. What if we had conversations of construction where you sat with someone to actually try and build them up, to speak life into them, to use your words and those things that you say to build someone up? Let your words be words of life, words that bring life, words that stimulate life in people, words that build people up. And you might say, well, I'm just, I don't have the, the degree, I don't have the qualification. If you have a voice, then you have the ability to speak life into someone, to speak a word of encouragement or kindness to someone. And you don't know what that would do to someone. As much as, you know, we're real good at, in, in Christian circles at putting on the big smile. And, and how's everything going? Oh, God is good. Yeah, He is good. How are you doing? <laughs> he, he is always good. You might not be doing good. We, we get real good at saying the hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord is good. God is good. You know, there are people sitting in this room today that aren't doing well. Some of us may have come today with some heaviness, with some stuff that we're struggling with, 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 with all sorts of things happening in our lives. And we have opportunities to speak life into one another, to build one another up, to exhort, to encourage, to edify one another. And I want you to see that, that you have a ministry in your mouth, that your words can bring life to someone. I hear over and over again, uh, people will say, after a Sunday service, uh, you know, the thing that really spoke to me wasn't what you said on the stage, but was what someone said at, when we were having coffee. They just encouraged me about the situation that I was going through. To me, that is ministry. To me, that is the body, that is the church, that is the family, building each other up, using our conversations to help one another. Rather than tearing each other down, rather than speaking ill of each other, rather than criticizing each other, rather than hurting one another with our words, using them to construct, to build, to edify, to exhort. Yeah, I know that. Let's see what comes from your mouth. Let's listen to what, what, what's coming out. Are you using those opportunities to build into people? How many conversations would you have a day? There was a stat that they did that, that ladies would say 16,000 words a day. Men, about 3,000. 
No, I made that bit up. It's, it wasn't that low, but it was like significantly, <laughs> significantly lower. So ladies, you have a lot of opportunities. But I just think, you know, 16,000 words a day, surely I could use a couple of them to build into someone. I know, right? It's the Holy Spirit out there. Amen. Come in. <laughs> we could use a couple of those words to build into someone, to encourage someone, to sit with someone and just speak life into them. You have the permission to do that. You, right now, Paul says to the church, use your words to build each other up. You know how much of, of, of a strength encouragement brings to people? Just a word of encouragement. Just to be encouraged by someone when you're going through something. The people that I love to be around the most are the people who encourage. Are the people who, who, who will come with a word that, that, that whatever you're feeling like, whatever we, your week has been like, whatever's going on in life, they're there, they sit with you and they bring something to encourage you. Just to speak life into you. And I'm going to be honest, the people that I tend to avoid is people who just criticize who are negative who just speak death over and over and over and it's probably the same with you that people are around you gravitate towards you are, are, are drawn to you because you bring life to them because your words bring life to them conversations around gaming tables where you can just speak life into someone where you can build someone up the power of encouragement we can never ever uh, downplay the, the power of encouragement, just how important it is to people to be encouraged, to speak life into them. We're going to take two minutes. And I'm going to ask you to just grab out your phone and send an encouragement to someone. Yes, I did ask that. If you've got a phone, if you want to play along at home, just to think about someone in your life, someone in your world, and just send them something encouraging. Just to take, take two minutes. And if no one sends something to me, I was only joking. Ten seconds. That's giving slower typers a bit extra.
You know, if, if like 30 of us just did that, you know, that's 30 people that aren't in this room, potentially, that have just been encouraged by what takes place here. And you, you think maybe me, one person, I can only encourage a certain amount of people in a day. But what, what about if you and all of us together spoke words of encouragement every day to other people? Imagine how far spreading that could be. Imagine how that could change a culture. If that was the culture, the language of this house, that it was a language of encouragement, imagine how it would shift and change some of the things that we go through together. If you knew that when, when you were struggling, you could come and someone would comfort you, someone would speak life into you. Imagine how it would change things. Use your words to build up. Here's the second B. It's the word bite. The word bite. So our words that we build but we also need to learn to bite. This is something I've learned somewhat the hard way. It's not just what we say that matters. It's when we say it that matters. And you may have heard in the past people say, I wish I had have told this person how I felt. I wish I had have said this to this person at that point in time. And then there's some sort of regret. I just didn't get the opportunity to say how I actually felt. I miss that. I wish I could have said that. And potentially we had the opportunity, but we just didn't take the opportunity. And then on the flip side, I hear the other thing, and I've said this many times myself, I wish I didn't say that. Probably said that a lot more. Oh my, I wish I didn't say what I just said. I wish I didn't send that email. I wish I didn't send that text message. I wish I hadn't have said that the way that I said that. There are times when we need to learn to bite our tongue. Proverbs is incredible in that it tells us the gauge of wisdom is by what comes out of your mouth. So many times it says the wise speak like this. The wise withhold at this time. The wise says this, but the foolish will speak at this time. The foolish has many words. The foolish, and, it's, and you look at what, what is the gauge of wisdom? How do we see wisdom? Well, so much of it is expressed by what comes out of our mouths and when it comes out of our mouths. James talks about this, about taming the tongue. He says that the, the tongue is this small part of the body, but it can be so destructive. It can cause so many issues. It can break down relationships. It can break down families. It can break down churches. It can break down communities. This small part of the body can have such an effect on everything else. And he says, and we can tame all of these different beasts of the world and yet not tame that tongue. I watched a video of a lion tamer. And... This lion tamer was like getting this lion. Do you know what a lion is? Just in case anyone doesn't know what a lion is. They're pretty ferocious. And they could do a bit of damage. Just in case you didn't know. And this guy has, has tamed this lion. So he gets this lion to do these tricks. It will jump at different times. It will walk around in circles at different times. And then he gets to the, the kind of grand final of the tricks. Which is to put his head in the, in the lion's mouth. And I'm like thinking, I'm watching this. I'm like, bro, I'm not watching that. 
You don't have to prove to me that this is a tame lion. It, it, the fact that it hasn't already eaten you tells me that. So you don't have to put your head in its mouth to prove that. But anyway, we've learned to tame beasts that are so ferocious, and yet we struggle to tame the tongue. To not say things when we could withhold, when we could bite our tongues. Again, this is a, a thing that there is a time and a place to say some things. And there is time and a place to, to bring correction. There is a time and a place to uh, rebuke. There is a time and a, pr- a place to, 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 to speak about issues. But it's always got to come from a heart of love. Be rooted in love. And seasoned with grace in the way that we speak. This would be wisdom, is that we learn when to bite our tongues. Maybe you don't have to say it at that very point when you're feeling real frustrated. Maybe it's wise to just let it settle for a bit and not speak out of the anger or the bitterness that you're feeling. Maybe it would be wise to step back and just process a little bit. To think through how you say what you're about to say. Rather than... And then having to kind of clean up after. I was talking with Rich uh, last week. And uh, we're talking about you know, learning to apologize as fathers. And it's one of the things that I've been learning is to apologize to my, my kids. And at times I'll say something or I'll do something or I'll, I'll you know, act out of anger or speak out of frustration. And I'll, I'll, I've learned to, to come and apologize and say sorry. And Isabella has picked up on that very well. Because there's times now when I will you know, discipline her for something. And then she'll, she'll have some time out and she'll come back. And she'll sit next to me and she'll be like, so do you want to apologize now? <laughs> and I'll be like, I'm not apologizing for that. I apologize for you know, the way that I speak. Or, but I'm not apologizing because you need to be disciplined. She's, she's caught on to that. And there is power in us apologizing. It's important. It's important in relationships that we learn how to apologize to each other. Because there will be times when we speak out of, uh, out of the wrong place and we say the wrong thing and it causes hurt. But here is something else that I've learned. The apology doesn't fix everything. Now, you saw my car. If you reversed into my car, and you dented my car, and you apologized to me, I'd really appreciate that apology. But I'd also really appreciate you to take the car to the panel shop and fix the the dent that is in my car. This actually happened to me, and it happened to me when I was at Bible college. I had a friend, he reverses into my car while I'm still in class, leaves a huge dent in it, and he sends me a text message and says, Hey man, was in a rush, hit your car. Sorry. And I laughed. I was like, he's having a he's joking, surely. Sure enough, there is a dent in my car and he's reversed into it. But he apologized, which makes it all better. You can apologize and still have a dent in your car. And that's what we need to be careful of because apologies are good 
And that, that we should be apologizing when we, we, we hurt people, when we say things that, we, uh, that, that cause wounds. But also understand that there, if something has been said that causes a wound, the wound doesn't just go away because the apology has been given. There is still healing that may need to take place. There's still things that might need to happen in that relationship to, to work through what has happened. Apologies are good. But what if we could learn to live a life that requires no apology? What if, we, what, what if the Holy Spirit could do something in us to, to cause us to live a life that really requires no apology, that our, voice, our speech it builds up, that it brings life, that it, that it helps? Learning to bite the tongue, learning to tame the tongue. Really important. And the last thing there, the last little B is he says, as fits the occasion, so when it's meant to be said, that it may give grace to those who hear. That our words would be a benefit to others. That our words would benefit others. And this is connected to building others, but what we say would actually be beneficial to other people. I'll say this in the nicest way that I can. I feel like at times some people like to speak because they like to hear their voice. And they don't consider what they're saying, but they just like to talk. And this says here that that our words should be used to give grace to those who hear. That our words should be used to benefit others. Not to just idly chat at times, to just speak about whatever we feel like we, we should be speaking about, but to, to actually benefit others, to bring life to other people, to have some sort of grace that, that is ministered to others. Your conversations can minister grace to people. Your conversations can help people see Jesus to be of benefit to their lives. What you bring, what you say can help someone else to benefit them, to build into them, to exhort them. Again, just to think, when I, go into the, when I leave this place today, when I go into uh, conversations, when I meet with people, when I see family, when I go home, are my words beneficial to them? Is what I'm saying, is what I'm talking about benefiting them? Or is, is me bringing this conversation up, is it, is it pulling someone away? I, I, you're working with youth, I see this all the time. They talk about things that, that aren't beneficial to their lives as if they were the, the greatest thing ever and put such importance on things that, that just really don't matter and in some cases pull people away. Talking to some young people about you know, the stuff that they watch, what, the movies that they're watching and, and they're, they're going on and on and on. We're in a class, and they're going on and on about this horror movie and this one boy is like freaking out because he, he, he has nightmares. And I'm like, that conversation is not beneficial to everyone that's hearing. That conversation doesn't need to take place there. It's actually hurting someone. It's not helping someone. And so if I, wanting to love others, was then, I don't want to talk about that because it's not helping someone else. Also, in our, in our relationships, desiring to understand someone else, to, to help them in their lives. A, a lot of conflict takes place and we assume we know why someone said something. 
We assume we know why, why someone has done something. We make up a picture, we make up a video in our minds of, well, this person did that because they wanted to do this. Rather than actually sitting with them and saying, what was that about? Where did that come from? Help me to understand what, what, what is, what was, where that place came from. How did you get to that place? Why did you say that? Help me understand from your perspective why that's important. I see this in marriage. I've got a totally different perspective to my wife. And she will say one thing and I'll hear another thing. And then we have to sit down and, and, and seek to understand what, what did you mean by that? What were you telling me to do there? I understand you want me to put the toilet seat down. But why is that? Because someone's going to have to lift it up. So help me understand your ways. <laughs> to benefit others, to, to try and have understanding with one another. And, and knowing that you know, sometimes the right thing to say is nothing. Something, sometimes we want to have the last word. I just want to make sure you know before we finish this conversation exactly what I mean and how I feel. But sometimes the relationship is more important than having the last word, than getting across your peace. Understanding the person that you're speaking to, so that you can benefit them, your words can benefit them. Let's just finish with this. He then says in verse 30, after speaking about what's coming out of your mouth, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now we can read that in isolation and think that that's not connected. I actually think that in this letter that is connected to what he's saying about the way that we live. That our words, our, our speech can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. That what we say can grieve the Holy Spirit. Maybe that makes us think differently about how we speak to each other, how we speak about each other, what we say about each other. And I think it grieves his heart because he loves his children. And if I see my kids speaking about each other badly tearing each other down with their, their words, I think, man, that's not good. Then to think God's heart for his people, for, for the people that he loves, to hear us just criticizing and, and killing each other with our words grieves the Holy Spirit. And I also think in, in, the other, in the other sense, it grieves the Holy Spirit because his desire is to minister is to bring life to people. His desire is to, it's, is to illuminate, is to bring life, to build up. We see it over and over again that he wants to speak something through you into a conversation. And so perhaps it grieves him that, that we, we don't take those opportunities, that, that we aren't thinking in that, in that vein. We're not thinking in that direction. And I imagine sometimes the Holy Spirit is like, I want to say this, I want to build that person up and I just kind of close my mouth and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of saying that right now. Or I'm worried about what they'll think about me. And I wonder if that, that almost stifles what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in some situations. But to just change our mindset to think, you know what, every time I open my mouth, it's an opportunity for grace to come forward. It's an opportunity for, for life to come out. For, for this person that I'm sitting with, speaking with, uh, driving with, for them to be built up. 
to be edified, to be exhorted. And then he says there, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this is where it all kind of makes sense. Because deeper than what comes out of our mouths is where the words that come out of our mouths come from, which is our heart. Jesus said, from the overflow, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From what is inside you will come out of you. If you want to know what is in your heart, listen to your lips. If you want to see what is actually going on in your heart, listen to what is coming out of your mouth. One of the best uh, barometers of what is taking place inside of you is what is coming out of you. If your words are full of criticism, if your words are full of bitterness, if your words are full of anger and hatred, trace them back and you will see in your heart those things are there. Because from the abundance, from the overflow, from what is in the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the deepest level of change for our language is not just what we say, it's changing our hearts. And that is the picture. Let all of that stuff go. Let all of that go, but instead be tender-hearted to one another. Be kind. It's a heart transformation. That's what has to take place. And so our language is an extension of our hearts. And there is times to bite the, bite the tongue, to give Holy Spirit time to work in there, to, to shift and shuffle and change and transform our hearts so that we can speak from that place. But it comes back to letting Him do a work in our hearts to change us. To let that new nature flow from us. And so that our words would then be an extension of that to bring life. The kingdom of heaven has a unique language. It's the language of love and life. And it has the accent of humility, grace, it just sounds different to the kingdom of this world. And so I would dare say that as followers of Jesus, as people who have been brought to life, that our language should, should sound a lot more like the language of heaven than the language of our land, than the words and the ways and the cultures that we speak from and speak into. So allow your heart to be changed. As your mouth is changed, as your words are changed, allow that transformation to happen. But I, I, I think this, you know, if, if there's negativity coming out or what is coming out of you in different situations, you watch what comes out is what's in and pressure. When you're squeezed, that's usually when it comes out. It was, I was talking to someone yesterday about when they, they hit their thumb with a hammer what comes out <laughs> because when you're under pressure that's what comes out but it's a good gauge to look at hang on a second and start to listen to your lips what am i actually saying here what what in this situation what am i saying about this person what am i saying to this person what what, what is coming out why is that and then kind of trace that back and allow god to do a work in that area we hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.
www.ecofactory.com.au.